in week three of a series through the book of Ruth. If you're just joining us today, don't worry, I'll bring you up to speed very quickly. But it's a profound series, a four-chapter book that actually we believe God has given to us, the church, today as a gift to help navigate us through these times. You see, the book of Ruth is not much different from the, the conditions that they felt in the book of Ruth. Uh, millennia ago is not much different to what we're facing today in the here and now. There's anarchy. People are doing whatever they like. There is famine in the land, a lot of financial stress, economic pressure, people tightening their belts. There are a lot of good people making bad decisions. And you just have to see and look around, not just our nation, but just around our communities. People under pressure having to make decisions and, 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 and stressing about these decisions, leaving jobs, leaving homes, leaving countries, leaving families. What do we do in these moments? And we're trying to say, actually, this is a book for us to help navigate these times. There was also a whole lot of sexual depravity in the world there. And uh, it's not much different to today. Just have to go flick a few times on social media and you're gonna, or read the headlines and you see that this is invading and it's closer to home more than we think. And fifthly, in this, the context of the book of Ruth, was there's a whole lot of death. And we just know in our world these days, a lot of people physically and emotionally and, and financially feels like people are under pressure, but more than that, people have gone to their graves, it seems, almost in the season. And we're saying that this, this, this book has been given to us as a gift. And what we've been navigating the season, though, was there was a whole bunch of people uh, called Ruth and Naomi and Orpah and this fam, their families moved down to a place called Moab, away from what God had for them. But there came this moment that they made a decision to move back to Bethlehem move back to the house of bread, move back to the purposes of God, though it might not, circumstances might not have changed. They're saying, actually, we believe God is calling us back to what he has called us to initially. And they moved back there. And in week two, we navigated last week that maybe sometimes we make those big decisions to leave Moab or leave the place of despair or leave the place of, of depression or leave the place of brokenness that we were to go back to where God's called us. But as we go on that journey, we find that the place of brokenness maybe hasn't left us. And we had to deal with that last week and this week, I want to take us into chapter 2, and if we, we're going to read it together now, but I want to ask us to set it up with this question. You see, when if, you, if you know the beginning and the end of this book, and I encourage you, go read it. Four chapters, it takes shorter to read than one episode of The Office on Netflix. <laughs> tell you, it's that quick, but that good. But I want to tell you, the question is, how does a widowed Moabites named Ruth who should be on the fringe of society, the fringe of the story, how does she become the hinge point in Israel's future and story? How does that happen? And how does she move? And we read the story from chapter one, from a place of famine to chapter two, a place of favor. How does that happen? And how can that have influence on our lives today? I'm glad that you have all asked that question. So let's read and find out together. It'll be on the screen behind me. Why don't we read it? To, here it goes. It says this. Are you all able to see? Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it so happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. 
Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young, woman, young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Can you say the word found favor? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes. Can you say found favor? My Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Halfway through chapter two, why don't we pray together at this moment. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all that's going on in, 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 this, in this house this morning together as we uh, celebrate the, the good gifts you've given us in babies and moms and in family together. But I thank you, God, for your greatest gift, which is your word to us today. And I thank you that your word comes to challenge us, to move us, to stir us, to change us, and to lead us from famine into favor. I declare that over every home, every heart, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have this, I've got this notoriety about me in my home that I lose things a lot. I lose things a lot. If, and, and in particular, I've got, a, I've got the, a niche market in losing things that are of value. Wallets, phones, keys. This is a, a thing that happens every day in our home. And for you say, put it in the same place. I said, I did. I just not, it's not there anymore. You know, you know, I don't know if you know this phenomenon. Things go missing in our home. And I, I like to blame my two kids, but uh, I'm fast losing that excuse. But I've got this, this weird ability to lose things all the time. But I want to tell you, I wanna, I've got a trump card that I've also got a weird ability to find those things. I don't know about you, but it seems like every day I misplace them. But every day, just give me enough time, I will locate that wallet. I'll locate the phone. I'll locate the keys. And, and so much so that even, I don't know if you guys have got this, I've set up a thing on my watch uh, called Find My Phone. Oh, what a gift that is. That is a, a spiritual gift. Press a button and you start to hear that phone beeping. And the places that phone has been, behind the couch, under the couch, on top of the fridge. It's not inside, it's on top. It's, it's all over the place. It's, an, it's amazing when I find it. And, I'm, and, I, and it's just this gift that God has given me to lose things but then to find them. And I think that actually when I've been thinking about us as a church, and not just us here in this body, but I think church, the church worldwide, by by just reading the headlines, reading in between the lines what's going on in our world at the moment, I believe that we have, we've become an expert. Christians have become experts in finding things, finding fault. Experts. It's like, they just, beep, 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 I know where it is. And we find it in the most crazy places. We become experts in finding frustration. Frustration with people, frustration with churches, frustration with businesses, frustration with governments, frustration with our lives and our families and things that are around us. We become experts in finding fear. You just have to listen to these conversations and no matter what is going on, there just seems to be this disclaimer, yeah, but let's see how long that will last. Let's see what will happen with the government. Let's see what will happen with my business. Let's see what happened with the finance, the economy. Let, well, let's just see. And it feels like we've become experts in finding things. But today, I want to help us and remind us 
and maybe for the first time tell you that actually I, I believe God has called us to be experts in finding favor. So much so I've entitled this preach, Finding Favor. And I want to help you today because as, as I, I want to firstly maybe help understand what is favor? What does favor mean from a biblical sense? Well, I'm glad you asked again. It's really great that this conversation we're having. Favor in a godly perspective is undeserved kindness. It's supernatural grace. It's God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. Or as I put it one day, and I'll put it in my book when I release that book, you know, one day. Is that I believe favor is divine acceptance, divine access, and divine acceleration. Meaning that God speeds up what will take normal people many years to get. People God will, will bring into your path things that you would never imagine. Divine acceptance, access, and acceleration. But I want to tell you today that favor is not a formula. Maybe you've been in church and you've been around the block a bit and you've heard this word favor by some charismatic preacher. And they'll say, turn to your neighbor and say favor. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? Is this name it and claim it vibe? Where are we going with this? Well, no, I want to tell you favor is not a formula, but favor is a focus. And I want to help us understand, shift our focus from the famine to the favor that God has for you. Because I believe that he has it for every single Christ follower. But we have learned to find fault. We've learned to find frustration. We've learned to find fear. But God says, I want you to become experts in finding favor. Anyone here wanting to find favor? In their business, fine. in their lives, in their finances, in their emotions. I see those hands. Thank you, Arthur. Great two hands up. This one's for you, Arthur. But I want to tell you today that will you see the favor? Because you know what? This, I really believe this church is a church filled with favorites. You've read the scriptures, you've heard of the Jebusites, the Hittites, I give you the favorites, everybody. I worked very hard at that joke, and I thought I was going to get much more laughter than that, but maybe for those on the back there, if you're happy, and you know it, tell your face. Anyway, great, let's move on. So three things, three things from this scripture, scripture, I was just joking about you guys, by the way, you guys are great. I like to pick on people, but three things from the text that I want to help us move, if we're going to be people who find favor, so why don't you say it with me, we're going to get charismatic because we want it, say find favor, favor. come on, very, very good, is number one, you have to learn to position for favor, position for favor, and I'm just learning from the text here, this is nothing else but more of it, reading the Bible speak to us today, verse two tells us this narrative of Ruth and Naomi moving back from Moab, moving back as refugees, this book has more to do with our world than we know it, this is a book about race, about foreigners, about people, I'm thinking in my head about people who are moving from Moab and have, have had lots of death and have had to find death certificates, can you imagine, if you are a foreigner here and you've had to navigate home affairs when you don't have the right papers, you understand the trauma of the story. This is what it is, trying to get death certificates, trying to move a nation, trying to find work, trying to, it is, this is more, got more to speak to us than probably anything at the moment. This book is a gift to you and I. We've got to understand it. And verse 2, in the midst of that, says this, one day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. A woman decides to position herself for favor. I love how the author, if you go read that chapter we just read, 14 verses, you'll notice about three, four, five times that either Ruth, the author, or the people who are speaking about Ruth speak about her and say, she is a Moabite. She is a Moabite. They keep reminding us that she's a Moabite. And that is so huge because I want to tell us today that actually the Moabites were people who should have been positioned for failure. They were in the sight of the people, Israelites, in the sight of God, Moab. Scripture does not deal Lightly with the nation of Moab, Ruth the Moabite. Let me tell you a little bit about Moab very quickly. The tribe of Moab where Ruth comes from 
was conceived in incest. Lot, uh, the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, as they left there, there was all the, all the, the women were killed, so the, the, Lot's daughters get Lot drunk and sleep with him so they can have a child. And through that line, the nation of Moab is born in sexual depravity and brokenness. What's more is that doesn't just stop there with them. It becomes this, the root in their family of this depravity in the nation of Moab. And that actually, if we keep reading the story, Moabite women started to sleep with Israelite men when they were, dis, uh, when they were strictly forbidden because they had served different gods and they would seduce Israelite men and go and sleep with them. And so much so it got to a head where Moses and, and the people are weeping about the sin at the, at the entrance of the tabernacle. And while they are weeping at the entrance of, it's like right here, while they're weeping at the entrance of the church, the tabernacle, going, what is happening to our people? An Israelite man and a Moabite woman brazenly walk in front of them into the tent that's closer to the tabernacle. This is the Bible, not days of our lives. This is, this is the Bible. And they're going to have sex in a, in, 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 a, in a tent right outside the tabernacle, brazenly offensive to God. This is what the nation of Moab is. And, and you can go find these stories at home. They get even more hairy than that. But let's leave it there for now. But Moab gets a reputation to, of being enemies of God. And enemies of God people so much so that if you keep reading, when Israel goes, leaves Egypt on their journey, Moab refused Israel's safe passage, refused to give them food, but instead hired a man named Balaam, who had a famous donkey, but hired Balaam to curse Israel as a journey toward the promised land. And because of this, the Lord... In the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, actually, Moab will be kicked out of our community for 10 generations, and they're under the, this expressed displeasure of God and His people. This is the nation of Moab, so much so that in Psalm 60, God speaking about Moab says, Moab is my washpot. I don't even know what a washpot is, but it just sounds gross. It's the I'm just imagining that stuff that's in the drain. God says about that nation, Moab is my washpot, the lowest of the lowest. This is the nation of Moab. And in the story, we keep saying, Ruth the Moabite. The Ruth the Moabite. And I love this. That's why when we get, if we read it, then verse 10, when she is so shocked at why, how I have found favor in your sight. See, she is so shocked at finding favor because she's been so used to finding failure. She's become so used that that is our position. That is our understanding. That is our out, we're outcasts. That is who we are. But she is having to learn a new thing, learn a new language, change her focus. Actually, no, actually, I'm not going to settle for finding that. I'm going to find favor. Something has to shift in her heart. And I love this because Ruth shouldn't in every single aspect of, of her life, of her history, of where she's been, should not be allowed anywhere near Israel's story, let alone into it, and be the vehicle that carries it forward. But Ruth becomes the center point, the hinge point of this whole nation. I love this. And I want to say this, that failure, favor has nothing to do with your past failures. And favor has nothing to do with your present frustrations either. Let me, I'll tell you how I know this. The Bible is so clear of this. Joseph, the Bible tells about Joseph. It says, Joseph found favor with the prison guard while he was in jail. And he found favor. Favor will find you. Moses in the wilderness, when he has just thrown a temper tantrum of all temper tantrums in front of the whole community, he goes back up the mountain and God says, you have found favor in my sight. Let me tell you, Mary, a virgin in Nazareth, and Nazareth literally means separated. It's the back alley, it's the poof udder of the community. It's out there, no, no, a few from poof udder, we love you, bless you. But that's where Mary was from, someone who should never have been included in the story. But the angel meets her and says, greetings, highly favored among women. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Found favor with God. 
And I love this. Verse 3 says, So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it so happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. I love that line. As it so happened. I love the way that God works, that actually when you shift your heart and you start positioning yourself for favor and say, actually, I'm not going to position myself in the failure, position myself in finding frustration and fear and finding faults. I'm actually going to become, I'm, God, I'm looking for your favor. Can I tell you, when you start looking for favor, there'll be a lot of, as it so happens, they'll fall into your way. That's how God works. Things that you can never manufacture on your own, divine access, divine acceptance, divine acceleration, God starts to find you. Favor starts to find you. This is what happened. As it so happened, she finds herself in this field. The scripture is so clear that we can position ourselves for favor. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the sway of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season, and its leaf does not wither. He finds favor in all that he does. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want my heart, no matter what is going on, no matter what circumstance is going around me, I want to be a favor finder, someone who's walking in the favor of God. And this is not cheap. This is not some charismatic speak. This is the promise from God that he says, actually, I want my favor to find you. No matter whether you're in the pit, no matter whether you're on the mountaintop, wherever you are, God's favor can find you because it's not determined on your present situations or your past failures. It's determined on his character. This is who God is. And as I say this, as I read Psalm 1, I realize that this is not apathetic. We can position ourselves for favor. This is not some pie in the sky thing out there for some, oh, maybe like just think about it. Or, you know, no, 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 this is not some case, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Let's just, you know, God will work it out. No, I really believe that we see in Scripture that God sees the hidden things. God sees the hidden things. That Ruth felt her positioning herself at the back of a queue, just gleaning, just, which was the, the welfare system of the day where people left behind a little bit for those who had no more money, had no chance and no hope. She said, actually, I'm going I'm to position that. Maybe I used to have a bigger job in Moab, but there's nothing for me here. I'm going to position myself, though. I'm not going to go down into my knees and sulk. I'm actually going to position myself, God. I'm going to look for your favor in the midst of this moment. This incredible woman, I, I, you know, before Boaz's eyes saw her, God's eyes saw that. God sees that, and God sees and rewards the hidden things. So I want to tell you today, find favor in your parenting. Maybe I'm preaching this to myself. When it feels hard, when it feels long, when it feels tired, and everything inside of you finds frustration, say, God, I'm looking for your favor in these little ones. I'm looking for a favor. I'm going to position myself for favor. Find favor in your spreadsheets. I'm being serious. When it feels... When it feels ordinary, when it feels mundane, find favor in your tithing. Find favor in your serving. There is faults and frustrations there, but I want to tell you, you can find favor there as well. This is the courage I want to give you today because the Bible says this plainly. If you can be faithful with the little, he says, I will give you more. I will give you more favor. You can position yourself for faithfulness, for favor. You see, I think so many of us, and myself included, have been praying for the big things but we still haven't done the little things yet. We haven't positioned ourselves for favor. We're asking for the favor, but we're not afraid to move into the place to receive the favor. And this is exactly, if you want to know what anointing is, anointing God's divine empowering for a task, I really believe, I really, really, really am convinced that anointing follows obedience. That anointing is not for some set-apart individual out there that God goes, oh, that guy's amazing. No, I believe a be anointing follows those who say, yes, God, 
boom, I'll empower you there. But too many of us are standing here waiting for the anointing to act, waiting for the favor to act, waiting for God to open the way. God, open the Red Sea. And he's going, lift up your hand. No, God, you open the Red Sea. He says, lift up your hand. No, God, you open the Red Lift up your hand. Position yourself for favor. This is what God is calling us. And I want to encourage us today. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't grow bitter. Find favor. Point two, position yourself for favor. Secondly, press in for favor. For time's sake, we leap down to verse 12. Where Boaz, she's in the field, Boaz's eyes, she finds, as it so happens, Boaz's field she's in. As it so happens, Boaz comes back that day. As it so happens, Boaz's eyes see her. As it so happens, Boaz goes and says, I'm going to ask about her, the one right at the back, the one that no one else is seeing, the one that everyone has disqualified, the Moabite, that one. Boaz's eyes favor access, acceleration, and, and, and acceptance. God will do this. He'll put favor in people's eyes to see you where no one else sees you. He says, what's going on there? This whole story happens. And then Boaz starts to have a conversation with Ruth, the Moabites, the widow, the disqualified. He has that conversation with her. And the Lord says, and he says this in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love this. I love this because as I said, you can position yourself, but I didn't say jostled. You know the difference. You know the difference is position yourself, position yourself for favor and trust God and press into Him or jostle and try and curry favor with your boss or try and, try and get in, come from this side and try and make a plan, make a plan. When actually God says, no, will you trust me? Will you press into my promises, not into the economics of this world? You see, this is huge. I love who she, he, Boaz recognizes. You've come to under God's wings, under God's provisions. And, and this is so huge for us because I really believe what I'm saying here is not karma, not give and you'll get back. I'm not saying put it out there to the universe. No, no, no. Favor has a source and his name is Jesus. Favor has a source and it's God. I want to tell you your provider is not your boss. It's God. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. We sang it a million times and you were probably wondering why are we repeating you are enough? Because he is enough. You, I, I want to speak this to my own heart because I, and to our hearts, I think we, we start putting our futures in bosses' hands. Bosses can give salaries, but our Father gives inheritances. And we have to trust that He is our provider and press into that place because that is huge for us in this time. The Bible says it this way, draw near to me, God speaking. He says, draw near to me, press into me. And He says, and I will draw near to you. It's huge. I don't know. Honestly, I could have got up and said that one line and get amen, and that should be enough for us as an invitation. God, God walks in here and says, draw near to me, come close to me, and I will draw near. When he says, I will draw near, he says, the fullness of my favor, the fullness of my character, the fullness of my blessing will draw near to you. This is so powerful, and I love this, because it's something that I, when I get to my book one day, just joking, I'm not writing a book, but, uh, but this understanding that I think so many people, we, we, we are aware of God. The first level of, of knowing God's presence is becoming aware of it. Just being aware that God's presence is with me. Powerful. But I tell you, so many people stop short there, aware of it, and find themselves, yes, I'm in Boaz's field, but not accessing Boaz's resources. Why? Because the first level is being aware. The second access is drawing near. Too many people stop short. I'm aware of God. I'm aware. Yes, God, I give you my day. That's cool. Thank you, God. Be with me today. Bless me. Oh, I've done what God's called me to do. When God said, no, no, I want to walk with you, now's the opportunity for you to draw near, access, acceptance, acceleration, press in. 
that's really good. Lots of good rhymes. I was like, wow, that was really good. Not just being aware, drawing near. God says he rewards and grants favor to those who diligently seek him. God's words, not mine. I didn't put them in the Bible. This is what God says. So I want to say to you today, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't grow bitter. Find favor. Press in. You can position yourself. Press in. And here's my last and favorite point of it all. So you have to know the personal favor. You see, in the middle of the story, we ended in verse 14, which is basically the middle of the whole story. In the middle of the story of Ruth, there's a table. A story that starts off with death, funerals, depression, depravity, brokenness, death certificates, trying to navigate immigration, how are we going to get there, finding jobs, moves into a field, and then right in the middle, Ruth the Moabite is invited to a table by a man named Boaz, who says, come and eat with me. And I don't know if you noticed it, but it's so profound that it says this in the thing. It says, come and dip your bread into my wine. In the middle of the story of death, anarchy, people doing well in your life is bread and wine. Right in the middle. Invitation to Boaz's story. And right there, I want to tell you, hidden in plain sight. Maybe I've just become a favor finder myself. That every time I read scripture, I'm looking for the personal favor. I'm looking for the personal favor. Because a lot of people, when they read scripture, they're looking for faults. They're looking for frustrations. They're looking for themselves. They're looking for a way out. When actually every time I look for scripture, look at scripture, I'm looking for the personal favor. I'm looking for that man, Jesus Christ. I'm saying, where is he in the story? And this is so huge, but actually scholars will tell us that this whole little four-chapter book is so profound that it's a macro picture, a micro picture of what God is doing on a macro level. Naomi represents Israel. Those who have, been, uh, who have got the promises of God, just like the Israelites, they went down into Egypt, now coming back into the promised land. It's a story of Israel. Ruth is a story of the Gentiles, of those who should not inherit the promises, but because of, because of Israel and Christ, and they had weaved into the story. And that Boaz is a picture of Jesus. This is so profound for you and I because I want to read the scripture and tell you in this story, this is, we got to learn to understand that I am Ruth. In the macro story of what's going on, you are Ruth. Let me tell you why. Ephesians chapter 2, I think it'll be on the screen, says this. I think. No, it won't be. Don't worry, I'll just read it to you. Don't forget, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says, don't forget that you Gentiles, speaking to us, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I am Ruth. You are Ruth. But in the middle of the story, we run into a man named Boaz. And I want to tell you why Boaz is the person of favor in this story, the one who opens the doorway, opens the way for Ruth to experience favor. But I want to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a pale picture of the greater Boaz named Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, this scripture will be on the, behind me. Isaiah 61. Are you ready for this to get good? Strap yourselves in. Everyone get ready. Are you ready to find favor? It's coming to you. It's coming. Isaiah 61 says this. It's a prophecy about what God is wanting to do. It says, the spirit of the Lord, uh, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. A scripture that 
Israelites would have known deeply for centuries, for years, as Isaiah prophesied that. They read it, they, they digested that, they came the truth that this is their hope, holding out that God will come with, with a year of the Lord's favor, a year of jubilee, a year of, 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 of bringing favor to His people, acceptance, uh, access, and acceleration to His people. God is bringing that, and vengeance for our enemies. We want that, let's do that. And then a man named Jesus, the person of favor, arrives, and in Luke chapter 4, we find this text. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. What we've just read. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set to liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But Jesus made a mistake. Surely. Let's go back quickly. Isaiah 61, very quickly, go back to that one. It says there, let's read the bottom. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord. It's a comma there. But let's read what Jesus read. The next one. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Full stop. Where's the vengeance? Jesus, you've left out the vengeance. He made a mistake. Or did he? Because Jesus comes locating favor. And this is so huge for you now. I love what he says here. He says he sat down. At this he sat down. I want to tell you the time of the Lord's favor has come. Full stop. Full stop. Not coming. It has come in Jesus Christ. And he is inviting you to sit in his favor. In the middle of the fight, in the middle of the famine, your circumstance right now might feel frustrating and you might feel fearful. I want to tell you, in the middle of that, just like in the middle of the root story, he puts a table. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. A table. He says, come and sit with me. Come and find my favor. Your circumstance might not have changed, but the table's still there. The invitation is still there. My bread and wine have not lost their power. Come and sit and eat. I'm disqualified. I'm broken. My story is too bad. He says, come, sit and eat in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the famine. Come and find favor. This is so huge. It gets better and better because as I was reading this this week, Luke chapter 4 follows on from Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. I know, profound. Stick with me. Luke chapter 4 starts in a wilderness where Jesus is in the desert. And he comes out of the desert. He's coming out of the desert. He walks into the, the, the area where they're reading the scroll. He comes in right into the synagogue, opens the scroll in that moment. And what he's doing there is so profound because that is the action. What he does, coming from the wilderness to the temple where he's reading the scroll. When he, every year at Passover, what happens is that action in reverse. You see, every year at Passover, the scapegoat lamb is taken from the temple and then driven out into the wilderness as a sign. And hopefully that as that scapegoat goes out to die in the wilderness, that scapegoat, hopefully when it dies, will hopefully get favor for the people. Every year, their hope is on that. But here we hear a man coming out of the water, the river of Jordan, chapter 3, out of his baptism. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, comes out of the wilderness, comes into the temple, bringing favor to the people. Not once every year, not once every week, not when situations are all lined up. No, Jesus comes and says, I'm bringing favor to you. This is so huge. And, and can you imagine this understanding? This is so huge for us that the Lamb of God, the, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Jason, come up. You're very excited. I can see. He's, he wants me to finish. That's why. But 
the Lamb of God comes and he opens the scroll. I want you to picture this. What are scrolls? They don't have paper. They don't have the inkjet printers. They don't have a nice paper. No. The scrolls were made from beaten lamb skins. They were made and rolled up. The, the religious scrolls were made from lamb skins. They're pressed. They're pressed and pressed. And they've written on these skins, these lamb skins. So we've got the Lamb of God standing and he unrolls the scroll. To read it before the people. He's holding a lamb that has been beaten into shape to be able to contain the promises and favor of God. And the lamb of God unscrolls it. They don't know what's happening in front of them. But the lamb of God is reading on a broken lamb that's beaten. And in that place is saying, the year of the Lord's favor. I'm declaring the year of the Lord's favor into you. Into people who are oppressed, the people who are finding fault, who've got famine and frustration. I'm declaring this and it's in me. It's in me. And this is why I love it because I want to tell you today. Maybe you're here today and you say, I haven't been positioned for favor. I haven't been faithful with the little. Here's the good news. When we are faithless, it says he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Because the person of favor is declaring favor over us. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've lost faith. I haven't come there. I haven't pressed in. I've stayed far back. I've messed up. And I don't have any more faith. The Bible tells us in Romans 1 that we are saved by his faith, not ours. His faith, the greater faith of Jesus Christ. And that man of favor is here declaring a year of favor over you. The year of favor has come, not a comma, not an ifs and but, but full stop at stop. At this he sat down. Divine access, divine acceptance, divine acceleration. And this is so huge because we find in Ruth in Revelation chapter 5, we've been going this whole series. When at the end times, this whole picture, this before John, the apostle John, he says, looks up, he says, I looked up and I saw and I wept because there was nobody worthy to open the scroll. No one worthy to open the scroll. And he says, but I looked and one of the elders, the 24 elders said, don't stop crying and look, look at this, look at this. And says, there before me was a lion of the tribe of Judah from the root of David. And we know from the story that Ruth gives birth to, to, to Obed, who gives birth to Jesse, who gives birth to David, that the root of David is Jesus that comes from Ruth's line, the Moabitess's line, the one who shouldn't be disqualified, the one who shouldn't even be invited into the field, who gets invited to the table, who gets invited into the marriage, who gets invited to the consummation of that marriage and builds a son. Ruth, the Moabite, who should have been on the outside of the favor looking in, who becomes a center point to carry the favor to the world. See, the root of David is overcome. And he says, and I looked and I saw one who looked like a lamb that was slain. Luke 4, we find the lamb walking out the wilderness, opening up the scroll, declaring favor. In Revelation 5, we find this whole story of a lamb that was slain himself, the scroll, declaring favor. This is not an invitation to some type of Christianity. This is not an invitation to a new idea. This is the center point of our faith that you and I were designed to find favor because favor has found us. And his name is Jesus. Why don't we stand to our feet in this moment? I am so filled with faith today that things are shifting in our hearts. Favor is not a formula. Favor is a focus. A focus. Today, will you say, I'm going to find favor? Maybe you've been stuck in finding fault. You've been stuck in finding fear. You've been stuck in finding failure. You've been stuck in finding frustration. You're stuck and you don't know how to get free of it. You don't know how to do it. Today, I'm here to tell you, you can position yourself, press in, and allow the person of favor to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Maybe you've experienced years of 
depression, years of anxiety, years of, of, of knocking on doors and businesses never seeming to get off the ground. I believe that today is a new day that new businesses are going to open up, that new contracts are going to come through. This is not some speak from a, a charismatic preacher. This is the word of God to you today that favor will find you. Favor will find you if you open up your heart. Today, if that's you and you want to shift, shift in your heart, shift in your heart, shift in your business, shift in your marriage, and you found the frustrating, but you say, actually, I don't want to be finding the frustration. I want to be found at the table of favor. He's opening up a table in the presence of your enemy. I can't change your situation, but I can change your focus right now. If that's you with me, why don't you lift your hands? Lift your hands as a symbol of shifting focus. God is doing stuff in us as a church in this series. seasons that you say, if I could have written this year, this year, 2021, a year of favor, so far it feels a year of job loss, feels a year of, of not getting my immigration papers, of husbands having to stay overseas, of couples being separated, of family being moved, of, of divorces, of pain, of illnesses, that doesn't sound like favor, I want to tell you the Father declares a year of the Lord's favor, full stop. Favor will find you in your circumstance, favor will find you in your circumstance, right now I declare Father God, favor find your people. As you open up hearts to be people who change their focus, say, I'm going to look after, look for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for the person of favor. I'm looking for the person of favor. I thank you, Lamb of God, right into the story right now. Right now and declare favor over your sons and daughters. Favor. I, I, right now, even I felt in, in the business place where you felt a blockage in business. You found a blockage, a blockage with your contracts, a blockage with cu customers. But you're saying, I want it to be released right now. Lift your hands higher. Father, I thank you right now. Open favor in the area of business. Favor, divine access, divine acceptance, divine acceleration. Do what only you can do, God. We are people, we are Ruth. We are excluded, we are separate, we have no power on our own. But God, we can say, may I find favor in your sight, God. And I thank you, Father God, you are the greater Boaz who walks in. Right now, I declare it into businesses, into finances. I declare, Father God, that we are releasing a whole bunch of favorites people who are held in your heart that you love and you release favor for and I thank you Father you're releasing favor to us so we can release favor to the world you release favor to Ruth so she can release favor to the world I thank you from these businesses from these marriages the life of God will flow from these situations the life of God will flow even Katie from this year I declare the life of God will flow the life of God will flow greater than you ever imagined the life of God will flow this is not as an aside this is not when this is over God says I want to flow and find favor in this moment I thank you Father God that favor would flow Peter I say favor would flow in the season favor would flow where everything says disqualified where everything says not now maybe we're not favor would flow in this season God I thank you Father I declare it right now Father I pray favor to come favor to come favor to come. I thank you, Father God, that you're pouring favor out on your people. Ori, I declare favor. Warren Smith, I declare favor over your business, favor over your marriage, favor over your life. I thank you, God, for a man who will be a conduit to your favor. I declare it, Father. Jaton McGaw, I declare favor over you, favor in the music area, favor that you'll experience open doors that no man can open, that you'll experience God's favor and His divine hand, and you'll say, only God could have done that. You'll knock on doors, you'll do things, but God will open up a way. I thank you, Father God, that you're pouring out favor Jesus. Favor over your sons and daughters. Right now, I pray where there's blockages, where we felt there's a ceiling. Right now, even where there's a ceiling, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. The ceiling has been removed. The Father is pouring out favor from heaven and that, that flow has never stopped. That flow has never stopped. It's coming to you today. I thank you, Father God. Divine favor. I pray right now, God, there'll be a beeping in the spirit. Where is that favor? Where is it? It's going to be found in places we never imagined. 
never imagined. Even in relationships that have gone dead, God. For relationships with clients that have gone dead. Relationships with dreams that have gone dead. That we'll find favor there. Favor today, God. I thank you, Father God. I declare, Jonathan, I declare favor over you and all your ideas. I Right now, I call favor and ideas to come alive. You've got entrepreneurial ideas. I declare them in Jesus' name. Would you find favor and life over this? I thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. You are enough. Why don't we lift our hands one more time and just declare, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough. It's not in our positioning, our jostling, our trying. It's in Him. We position, we press in, but then we trust Him. We say the personal favor. Right now, why don't you come right now? Why don't you come right now? We thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. We declare it. You are enough for us. Declare that over your life, over your business, over your marriage. Declare it right now. Declare it over your dreams, the dreams and destinies that God might have felt like has been surrendered, picked up right now. Jaira, you are enough. We declare it, Jesus. We declare it right now. We believe it. Find favor. Find favor. Why don't you just say to yourself, say, I'm I'm finding favor. Say, I'm finding favor because I found favor. I'm finding favor because I found favor. Who is that? Who is that man? Who is that woman? Who is that man? Who is that woman at the back? God is saying, I'm bringing you to the front. I'm bringing you to the front. Bring you to my table. Where you felt at the back, God is saying, I'm bringing you to the front. I'm bringing you to a table of grace. Right now, I thank you, Father God. Your favor is released like never before. Maybe can we close our eyes? We're going to land now. I know we've gone long today. But if you're here today and you're saying, actually, I've, I've been in the wilderness. I've been in the wilderness in my faith with God, but today I want to come home. I want to come home and surrender my heart to Him. If that's you, lift your hands so I can pray very quickly. If that's you, cool, thank you, thank you. Father, right now, I thank you. Today's a day where all disqualifications fall away. The enemy's voice is silenced. And sons and daughters say, I'm reorienting my heart not around my frustrations, my fears, my failures, but around your favor, which is fully experienced in Jesus Christ alone. I thank you, Father, we release sons and daughters from the old and welcome them into the new. Today we celebrate, we have found favor. We release to find favor, to flow with favor, release it to the world. I declare it over our people. You're doing a great thing amongst us, God. You're strengthening our church this season, week in and week out, to developing an appetite for what you are doing, shifting focuses. I thank you, Father God, today. Favor finds us, we find favor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.